to the Superfan Podcast, podcast series that focuses on the Edmonton Oilers and the National Hockey League. Um, in this podcast series, I focus on the latest news and discussion around the Oilers. Uh, I like to provide analysis on the team's performance and player performance. Um, we talk about roster construction and much, much more. My name is Sunil Agnihotri, and this is episode 53, published the week of September 4th, 2023. So for this episode, uh, there's a few topics I wanted to cover. Um, first of all, I want to just share some of my thoughts on the Oilers offseason and really the, the lack of activity um, and just how things are looking heading into the 23-24 regular season. Obviously a big one for this club. Um, I also want to cover some of the concerns I have uh, specifically, specifically around um, the roster construction and certain players that I, I would expect to start declining in production. I think these players should be on our radar, but uh, definitely something you want to look at. Um, and lastly, I want to discuss Leon Dreisaitl, obviously star player, uh, big part of this team, and you know obviously had a great season last year as well. Um, you know because he's in the second last season of his contract with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, just want to talk about some of the metrics that are worth monitoring as he's going to be looking to sign probably another long-term heavy contract when he's 30 in 2025. Okay, so let's cover the first topic and just the overall outlook on the team heading into the 23-24 season. Um, so I think like like most people, I'm expecting others to, to compete for a title, right? Like just the way the roster has that star level talent, just the progress that they've made the couple last couple seasons in the playoffs. Um, because you have McDavid and Drysaddle in their primes and both should be, you know, <laughs> reaching hundred points again. Um, we should expect this team to be, you know, in that discussion. Whether or not you think they'll make it or not, that's a whole other, you know, topic. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, that's kind of the expectation across the league. Um, and I they've got a few things going for them obviously. Like last year the depth on the team, so how the te- how the team performed without McDavid on the ice, uh, especially at even strength, um, that improved significantly last year. Um, you know, historically the Oilers' shot differentials are really bad whenever McDavid's been on the bench, um, consistently getting you know outshot, outchanced, uh, and then of course outscored uh, whenever you know McDavid wasn't on the ice. Uh, last year the Oilers were actually pretty decent without him on the ice. Um, so they posted, you know, shot share numbers above 52% at even strength, meaning they were controlling a higher share of the shots and chances. Um, you know, they had a, a plus 10 goal differential over the course of the year um, without McDavid on the on the ice. And you had guys like, you know, Ryan McLeod, who I thought is had a really good year last year. Like, I'm very high on Ryan McLeod. I think he's been a really good player. Um, player on the team um, then you have guys like Dar- Derek Ryan you know a little bit older veteran but he contributed really well last year as well so I, I thought you know overall that has improved um, and the team also played pretty well defensively uh, pretty much the course of the full season they did a pretty good job uh, limiting shots and chances against uh, at even strength um, the big problem of course and you know I covered it quite a bit on my blog and uh, previous podcasts is just the goaltending um, especially with Jack Campbell um, and just the inability to provide that league average goaltending uh, so it was really you know the team was doing a really good job preventing chances but you know because Jack Campbell could not provide that league average goaltending they allowed something I think it was between 8 and 10 extra goals against because of him 
Um, and I mean that's a that's a win in the standings right there. And we know how close they were to winning the the division. Um, you know, if Jack Campbell had been better, I think they would have, <laughs> they should have won the uh, the division last year in the Pacific. Um, and then when you look across the re- the rest of the roster, obviously goaltending is an issue, um, but a lot of it is because of how Holland has constructed the roster and just how he's managed assets and it has not been good since his he's arrived um, yes he's made some nice transactions but for the most part he has bled a lot of assets and has not gotten enough value for what he's spent money on um, you know Jack Campbell is the obvious example uh, who was dreadful last year and thankfully the team was bailed out by Stuart Skinner who I thought was pretty solid in the regular season playoffs different story wasn't as solid um, the defense looks pretty good with with Matthias Ekholm. We'll have to see how we can put together a pretty full uh, like a full season for the Oilers, um, and if he can be at the same level that he was uh, after the trade deadline last year. Um, but there's still question marks. You know, is is Cody CC going to be productive? He wasn't very good last year, um, and he was dealing with injuries. Um, I think it's been covered quite a bit about how much the pairing of him and Darnell Nurse was last year. And we know Nurse, you know, he's not a perfect player. He's way overpaid for what he is. Um, and he definitely needs someone to carry him or at least complement his skill set uh, and cover up some of his deficiencies. Um, and then you got, you know, Evan Bouchard, who should be okay. Um, hopefully he can put together a healthy year. And, um, you know, maybe it's playing with Nurse, maybe it's playing with Ekholm. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but overall, defense is so-so. And the Oilers really didn't do a whole lot this offseason because... Ken Holland has spent so much money in just the wrong areas, I feel like. Um, and, you know, obviously we heard, you know, the whole entire year about being dollar in, dollar out, how tight they're going to be up against the cap. To me, that's frustrating because if you're competing for a cup and, you know, there's this expectation that you're going to make a deep run, you have to do something in the offseason to improve your chances of winning games. And I don't feel like the others put in enough of an effort um, yes, you know, adding someone like Connor Brown that should help up front, but you know, you risk taking a bit of a risk here for somebody who only played you know four or five games last year, um, and you don't know if he's going to be able to give you a full season. Plus, you're likely going to be hitting all the bonuses on his contract. So let's just call it what it is. That's a four million dollar player that the others added. Um, so I I don't feel like the others have done enough in terms of um, putting together a better roster than last year you look across the board you know every team is trying to get better they're drafting better they're doing a better job of scouting the professional players Um, they're being smarter with free agency they're applying different methods to you know uncover these gems that can uh, contribute for the team and I felt like the Oilers took a very very passive approach which I don't think cuts it in today's NHL in professional sports in general um, you have to be doing things to uh, push yourselves in different areas. And and yes, you know, they did have a good season last year. The regular season was solid. Uh, playoff time, yeah, we know what happened against Vegas. Uh, they were just a better team at, at shutting them down and limiting their chances against. Um, but at the end of the day, like, if your job as a general manager is to put together the best roster that you possibly can, um, it's not good enough to just you know go with what worked last year and hope that you can replicate it. You have to tinker around the edges, um, at least somewhat. Um, and I think the one concern I have, uh, among others, is is based on my second topic, which is about upfront. 
like the forward group, which I mean, yeah, you obviously have some really high-end talent in McDavid and Dreisaitl, um, but then you have a bunch of top six guys that are 30 and over now, and most of which are getting paid quite the premium to be here. Um, and I agree, like you, you would need the experience. Um, that's what's going to get you far. That's great. Um, but I think the Oilers ideally should have some youngsters at this point that have been drafted and developed by the team who are on team-friendly contracts that can contribute offensively. You can't keep overspending and paying guys a premium. Um, you have to find some value, uh, some guys that you know count less against the cap, but you can squeeze more value out of them um, so that you can spend those other dollars on other areas like defense or, or wherever. Um, and the, the, the harsh reality is that none of Ken Holland's draft picks, um, so he's been here since 2019, there haven't been any really draft picks that have emerged as a legit option yet. Um, we did see flashes of someone like Dylan Holloway, and maybe he's the answer to insert in that top six to add a little bit of youth there. Um, and, you know, we've seen Ken Holland benefit quite a bit from the prospects drafted by the previous general manager, uh, Peter Shirelli. You know, guys think guys like Stuart Skinner, Evan Bouchard, Ryan McLeod. Uh, but none of those guys are those kind of high-end skill wingers that can score goals. Um, you know, I was hoping it would be, you know, Pugliarvi or even Yamamoto, but both of those guys fell out of favor with the coaching staff, and they've already been shipped out. And so now you got a right side that's fairly weak. Um, and for now, it's guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's 30. you got Evander Kane, who's 32. And you have Zach Hyman, who's 31. And all of them are good players. They have unique skill sets. They're obviously NHL co uh, contributors. They can provide value. But the reality is that most players in the NHL, they tend to see their performance and production gradually d drop off after they hit 30. And that really puts the Oilers, I think, at a risk of seeing some regression this upcoming season. Um, and again, like these guys bring value, but you have to wonder if the Oilers are doing enough to um, prepare for that drop-off. Have they drafted well enough? Do they have guys that in the system that they can you know, bring up and, and be key contributors next year? I don't see that just because the draft record has not been very good. Uh, again, like I hope I'm wrong. I hope some of these guys that we hear about, they can start to emerge. Somebody has to eventually. Uh, but right now, it's it's hard to see who that player is. You know, come training camp, could be wrong. Um, but the one player in particular that I think uh, is at the highest risk of regression is Evander Kane, who again, uh, he's 32. Um, he's had some injury issues. Uh, he did not have a good year last season. Um, and he'd come playoff time too. You know, him as well as Hyman and Nugent Hopkins, they weren't very good. Their production dropped off. But Kane is one guy who's, you know, got that league-wide reputation, um, of being, you know, a skilled guy, he can play your top six, he adds some toughness. Um, but to me, that was, or this offseason was the key opportunity for the Oilers to at least consider moving him, to free up some cap space and put that money towards younger assets. You can spread that money across the roster a little bit more to address some of your issues on defense, to address some of your issues on the wing. Um, and you could find somebody who could, you know, potentially fit in to, uh, to play with McDavid or Dreisaitl up front.
And so this was, I think, back, it must have been early July, where I did write a full article on this issue with Evander Kane. Um, and just, again, like what his value is, what the issues are. Um, and it was, it was described as managing declining assets. Uh, I know that's a bit of a harsh, harsh headline, but that's a reality, is that any organization that has an asset of any sort, they have to begin to, they have to first of all acquire that asset, but then they have to prepare for when that asset starts to decline. When do they buy? When do they sell? Um, and players in the NHL are in a, in a similar boat. Uh, with Evander Kane, what I found when digging into his numbers is that with, with him on the ice, historically, his teams have done pretty good. Uh, with him on the ice, teams like in Buffalo and Winnipeg and the first season in San Jose in 2017-18, the team always did better with him on the ice in terms of uh, controlling the share of shots and chances. Um, but what has happened in the last couple of years, it actually started in his second last season uh, in San Jose uh, in 2018-19, is that the team started doing better without him on the ice, uh, which means that he wasn't as much of a driver as he was earlier. And if you, you know, graph this out <laughs> over time, it's just, it's gone up, like during his prime years, you know, in his mid, mid-20s, which is what we typically expect. But then as he approached 30, and now he's past 30, he is now in that area where the team does better without him. Um, and that's concerning because in Edmonton, he gets, you know, top six minutes. He plays with the best players. You would expect that his numbers are stronger uh, or the team number are stronger with him on the ice. Um, but that is not the case anymore. And last year, were, uh, it was his worst actual uh, on-ice numbers or we call them relative to team numbers uh, in his career. Um, so, I think that's that's a concern, um, and and the other thing to point out too, is that even last year it seemed like the coaching staff was trying to notice that, and I, obviously he he was dealing with some injuries and and whatnot, but um, historically he's played over 30% of his even strength ice time against elite players, and this is from the wonderful website Puck IQ, where you can filter to see what proportion of a player's ice time is against elite competition or mid-level or gritensity or kind of the lower end players. Um, and so Evander Kane, obviously top six guy for most of his career. Uh, he does play a lot against top competition and he's done relatively well. Um, and so every year, you know, typically 35, 34%. But then last year, the coaching staff dropped it down to 25% of his uh, ice time against elite competition at five on five. So, you know, it, it's probably the injuries that, that factor that maybe the, the team recognized that, you know, he does better against lesser competition. They're putting him in a position to succeed. But I mean, if you're paying him, you know, what the Oilers are paying him and you got him for a couple more years, you'd expect that he can play against any level of competition and he shouldn't have to be sheltered. I mean, that's typically what you have to do with your third, fourth line guys or your younger players, not, you know, someone who's, you know, a veteran guy like Evander Kane. Um, this was obviously a risk that um, Ken Holland took a few years ago. You know, we knew Kane was, you know, approaching 30 and so his numbers were eventually going to decline and it's gone exactly to script. And I think that's, definitely an issue for the team and it's something that they will need to address uh, because again if if Kane does falter you know who does who do the Oilers have to fill in that role um, that's the kind of planning that 
smart managers, smart owners think of. They plan for it um, so that when they do take a risk, you know, it's a calculated risk. And I don't think the Oilers front office, um, as especially with Ken Holland here, I don't know if they think that far ahead. It seems like a lot of their decisions are just based on gut feel for the most part, uh, especially some of their long-term signings. Um, so I think it's something that, you know, it's worth watching. Obviously, if we're a fan of fan of Edmonton, you're hoping that Kane does have a good year and everything works out. But you have to be thinking about, you know, what might happen if, if he doesn't. You know, maybe it's Dylan Holloway. Maybe it's Xavier Borgo. I'm not sure if he's ready to make the jump yet, just yet and play a feature role. But it's going to be super critical for the coaching staff to uh, monitor the performance levels of Kane and the top six and really make adjustments as soon as uh, as soon as those issues arise. Um, and so, yeah, I guess the main thing I want to wrap up with this topic is that, you know, this was an offseason where they could have, you know, done something because Kane's value still is high across the league, just again, because of his reputation and his past results. Um, but it, you really need to be, you need to apply some creativity and some courage um, you know, to be out, to be able to go out there and create a trade market for the player and and maximize a potential return, um, and you know we saw it at the start of the season that you know the team's cap situation is is not good, and like that's why they were stuck, um, you know, not making any moves, um, and that's why clearing cap space was so important uh, to make sure that you know their success is is sustainable, um, but that's something we know Ken Holland has struggled with pretty much his whole career is building a team that can. Uh, be consistently, you know, competing for championships. Uh, you know, he struggled with that in his later uh, career in Detroit, and it seems like it's still an issue here in Edmonton as well. So, uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll see where that one goes. Okay, so moving on from Evander Kane and some of the issues up front, um, I want to move on to Leon Draisaitl, who's obviously you know star player in the league, tremendous asset for the Oilers since being drafted by the club in 2014. Um, obviously, putting up just amazing numbers regular season and playoffs uh easily you know one of the top guys in the league annually um the concern i have with drysdale now is that you know he's entering his 10th nhl season and it's the second last year of his current contract um and he could potentially if uh you know if he chooses to or if the team chooses to uh become an unrestricted free agent at the end of 2024 25 when he's 29 um and so you know there's lots of time to uh, for the player team to decide if there's going to be a long-term fit and what the contract could be, um, I think it's it's a good time now to start monitoring and at least projecting Drysaddle's production to help inform those contract discussions because um, that's going to have um, a pretty big impact on the Oilers' roster construction moving forward. Um, the Oilers obviously have some some you know heavy contracts long-term. You know think Zach Hyman. Think Ryan Nugent Hopkins, think Darnell Nurse. Um, obviously, McDavid's going to, you know, potentially, I'm not sure how that's going to go, but if the Oilers want a room for him. Um, so there's going to be a lot of money tied up. You're going to hope that the cap goes up, but really the Oilers have to start planning and start doing, <laughs> start making decisions that will help, you know, bring players in on, you know, more team friendly deals who can get, give more value. Um, and so because, you know, Dreisaitl, he's reaching 30, you know, there's going to be questions about, you know, what is his production going to be like? Um, and the others really need to know as soon as possible if, if Dreisaitl 
does have intentions of re-signing, you never know, right? Like these players have uh, just unrestricted free agency happens once in their career and they really want to maximize it as much as they can and land in the spot where they think they can win or at least compete uh, to win a championship. Um, and so I think what Dreisaitl is, you know, he's he's obviously going to be putting up major points, especially on the power play. Um, but it's his production at even strength that has slipped a little in the last couple of years. Um, and before I share these numbers, I should emphasize that it's not as though, you know, he's going to be, you know, a, a third, fourth liner anytime soon. His numbers, even as they're declining, are still really, really good. Like, they're still top six quality. Um, and, you know, the, the way he's been able to produce um, in the top six against top competition, I think that's really commendable. But it's it's got to be something the Oilers have to be wary of. Um, so just some quick numbers. It was back in 2014, oh, 2019-20 when he was 24. Uh, at even strength, he was generating 2.89 points per hour. And that was, of course, the year he won the Hart Trophy as the league's most valuable player. Had a tremendous year, like full freight. He was, he was really good that year. Um, but since that season, um, he, his production has actually dropped by 16.6% up until last year where he generated 2.41 points per hour. Again, that's a really good rate. That's what you expect from your top six. But that's a 16.6% drop since his Hart Trophy season. Um, and again, not to say that Dreisaitl is anywhere close to being done as a star player, um, but you know, when you start looking at his potential con contract structure, you really have to have reasonable expectations of the player and determine, you know, what the roster needs are going to be if his production is expected to decline um, and if his uh, deployment is going to change at all. You know, is he going to be a center or a winger? What is he more productive at? Obviously, he's he's very strong on on McDavid's wing, um, but that's just something that the Oilers have to keep in mind. Um, the one positive for for Drysaddle is that he does generate shots for himself. Um, that's an area of consistency for him, um, and the shooting percent percentage has been you know fairly good. Uh, so offensively. I feel like he's going to be good as he ages. But we know that his, his, his defensive numbers are where he struggles with a little bit. And I feel like that's what's going to decline the most. So I, as a centerman, I think he's been solid. But because his defensive game, I think, is going to start to decline as he approaches 30 and beyond, um, I feel like he's not going to be you know who you want at center. I feel like he's gradually going to become a really good winger. But the only way you're going to squeeze out value out of them, especially if you're going to be paying him more than $10 million, which I would expect going forward, uh, or when he is due for his contract, um, you definitely want to have him in a position to succeed. And so again, you have to look at, you know, if he's not playing center, okay, who's playing center? Um, you have to have a replacement from there. Um, and then if he's playing on the wing, you know, which center should he be playing with? And, you know, as much as we love having him with McDavid, the Oilers really have to start looking at, you know, who else can he play with? You know, what styles complement him? And that's what a really good, I think, a scouting team can determine. And if they're into the analytics and sports science, they can squeeze this type of information out. I'm not clear if they have that type of, <laughs> that level of intelligence back there. I think they have some really good people in their office, but um, I don't know if they're going to be utilizing all that here. But regardless, um, that's something that I think the Oilers have to monitor with Leon Dreisaitl. Um, the other issue, very similar to Evander Kane, is uh, Leon Dreisaitl's relative to team stats. 
which tells us, you know, how does the team do with him and without him? Um, and again, like I mentioned when I talked about Evander Kane, it's that, you know, when players are in their prime, they're typically helping drive their team's ability to outshoot and outchance opponents. So the same goes with Leon Dreisaitl, is when he's been on the ice since even as a 19-year-old up until his about 22-year-old season, whenever he was on the ice, the others did a really good job of controlling the flow of play and the shots and chances. But what we've seen again is that as he's aging, he it's not the case anymore. Um, he's not you know helping drive the team. In fact, the team does better without him. Um, to generate shots and chances and so when we see those kinds of numbers slip that tells us that you know this is likely going to continue um, you know you can compare them against you know any of the other top-end players like McDavid or even Crosby or if you want to do Malkin those guys have consistently put up uh, relative to team stats showing that whenever they're on the ice the team is going to do well um, not the opposite where the team does better without them um, and so I think Dreisaitl again He's a very good player today. I expect him to to be a very good offensive player going forward. But if you're going to be paying him a premium, you have to be doing a ton of planning to make sure that you squeeze out every ounce of value that you can from him. And I don't think it's an impossible task. Again, like I said, if he's um, if his production is going to be at its highest as a winger, then you have to start building a roster where you know he's got a, a really good playmaking center with him. Um, and if and if he's not going to be playing center again, you have to start addressing that issue right away. Because yes, you have McDavid. Yes, you have Nugent Hopkins, but he's also aging. Um, you know, Ryan McLeod's a really good player. Can he be a player that plays in the top six? I like to think he can, but I can't say for sure. Um, but it's really on the team to start developing, or sorry, first drafting, then developing players um, that can at least take on a bigger role. Um, so I mean, again, we're still two years away. Um, from Dreisaitl hitting free agency but now really is a time to figure out you know is this player going to be a top end player and what can he contribute is it going to help the team you know win division titles win conference titles win Stanley Cups we don't know that yet um, but I think over this next stretch the others really have to start thinking about you know long-term aspirations you know what the roster needs will be um, how they plan on filling those requirements. And I think Dreisaitl should be considered a part of the Oilers' long-term plans, but only if the Oilers have a legit, sound strategy to surround him with talent that could, you know, again, fill the void when his production or defensive impact start to slip. Um, and really, it's going to be about, you know, sustainability. The Oilers right now, like we said off the top, they are in that contender window, but you know, it, in Dreisaitl's, you know, 30, you know, 31 age year, 30 when he's 32, the Oilers really have to start forecasting that out and start thinking about that one. As tough as a discussion as it is, it's got to be something that the Oilers have to be monitoring over the next couple of years. Okay, well, I think I've covered what I wanted to for this episode. I appreciate you listening and tuning in. Uh, my name is Nagni Hotri. You can find me on my blog at thesupervan.ca. I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, pretty much every social media app there is out there. Uh, you can catch this podcast on any of the blog uh, on the podcast uh, platforms out there. But if you have any questions, any comments, feel free to reach out to me through any of those applications. Really appreciate you again for, uh, for listening. Be well, and we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon.